You're listening to Extraordinary Work, conversations about creating change. I'm Terry Yaffe, founder of Try Coaching. Throughout my career, I've worked in many industries from fashion to advertising to sales. I'm a certified executive, career and business coach, and a TV and podcast host. This podcast will connect you with people who work passionately, striving to make a difference in their corner of the world. I hope these authentic and inspiring conversations will help you channel your ability to create change. This is Episode 10, Extraordinary Work, Conversations About Creating Change is brought to you by Transcend Capital, helping people better understand new investment opportunities and wealth management by exploring high growth opportunities, commercial real estate, and ways to reduce their tax exposure. My guest is Abby Hayes, founder and CEO of Elise Consulting, LLC. Abby is a seasoned communications and brand marketing executive with expertise in healthcare, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and health equity. For over 20 years, Abby has worked with companies to influence the culture changes needed to drive meaningful change when it comes to DEI in the workplace by being a strong advocate and calling out the glaring missteps employers overlook when incorporating diversity, equity, and inclusion into their workplace. Welcome, Abby. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Terry. I'm really excited to have this conversation. This is such an important conversation that we're having. It is in the forefront of every area of society today, whether it's business, whether it's personal. I am just thrilled that we can have this talk. Abby, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. So my, my journey is an interesting one um, because, as you said in, in my intro, I have worked in healthcare, biotech, and corporate America for over 20 years. And it's an industry that's been um, part of my personal passions because my father was a physician. Um, but when I think about it also just through the lens of equity, be it corporate DE&I or health equity, a lot of this is actually in my blood. My father um, was a pioneer in health equity where I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. He brought um, free dialysis machines, machines that clean your kidneys um, to help people who had kidney disease um, to that country. Um, and when he passed away and my mother furthered his mission, and literally established that organization as what it's known as today, as a um, nonprofit um, in that country. So I grew up around health equity and community health, but it's all, I also have gotten to where I am because coming up in the agency world, I very often was either a one and only in rooms, um, you know, either the only black woman or one of a few. And for as much as there were instances, I had seats at tables with leading executives, there weren't that many people like me around at all. 
And for as much as agency world is one where we could talk all of the things with the commitments with DE&I, and we could talk all of the things about what we want to do to make sure we, we fill those gaps. At the end of the day, we can't just be talking anymore. We have to actually take action. And so that's why I moved into doing this work. I founded DE&I initiatives at two leading agencies. And before becoming um, the founder of my own company right now, actually built the foundation for DE&I at my old firm and created a, a client-facing offering. So in a lot of ways, there's been a lot of professional things that I've done, but more importantly, it's a personal mission as well. I love hearing how you have taken this on as a personal mission. Can you talk more mm. about how you have been an active voice and using your platform to help bring diversity, equity, and inclusion to the forefront? and how you have used your voice in creating changes that you have wanted to see and certainly want to see moving forward. Can you just expand upon that a little bit, Abby? For sure. So I would say the beauty of the business that I have been in, which is communications, is I've been able to use either platforms that I had at my disposal within companies um, or just the seats that I had at tables to really start pushing people along. Um, and I would say in my career, you know, there've been some key defining moments um, that have been those that have kind of propelled me to do this. You know, one of the first instances was when I was very, very junior and told by my line manager that I needed to learn what it meant to be a black person in this country because I didn't grow up here. So I needed to know what my place was, which I found quite jarring um, because she said it so candidly. Um, I just thought it was par for the course. And I was like, well, this is not how you cultivate talent of color. Um, and back then I set out to show that people such as myself and my other colleagues were just as capable and in a lot of instances, a lot more capable. Um, so that was when I started leaning into mentorship. Um, as I got more senior and as companies tried to get more serious with it, that was when I pushed for more candor. And I would say that the murder of George Floyd was the seminal moment that we know has kind of reawakened our entire world into the issues related to racial and social justice. But because of just the horrific nature of that and the impact that it had, a lot of companies realized that they could no longer just sit idly by or try to shut people down, right? They had to truly move beyond what I call the performance and buying for the Oscars of, you know, all the things in DE&I and actually truly start to implement change. And, they need, and to do that, they needed to listen. Um, and so I, in the era of Zoom, because we were living in COVID then, made sure that when I got calls from my CEO or the request from my clients, I would get on those calls. I would provide the points of view. Um, a lot of it was founded in the data that we were seeing in terms of how the fans were shifting. But I just took, like, a take no prisoners approach. 
because I knew we had, I had absolutely nothing to lose. And quite frankly, right now, companies have a lot to lose if they actually don't do it right. We certainly are seeing that companies are zeroing in and looking at the importance and necessity for creating changes within their organization. I volunteer at the Met, and during the pandemic, when the Met was closed, each volunteer had to take two trainings in order to renew their badges. One was on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the other was on racism. So the Met is definitely taking this very, very seriously. And I just saw that now we've got yet another training that we need to do. And certainly the Met is a microcosm of a macrocosm. And companies are keeping in step with what is going on and I also believe that they are offering trainings to their employees to make sure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is again at the forefront and changing perspectives as to how we all need to be in today's society and world. So I think, Companies are trying a myriad of things and trainings are just part of a range of different actions that they're trying to take to try to influence certain behaviors. Um, and, you know, when you look at all of the things that companies do to try to get from just doing the table stakes, as we call it, to truly being a champion, you have to pull multiple levers to try to get there. Trainings are just a small piece of larger initiatives um, that need to be put in place. Um, and I think what you're seeing companies doing now is trying to at least show that they're checking the box on the things that they think are actually gonna be demonstrative of implementing change, right? We know that we're living in a world now where there's a massive war for talent because with the great resignation has come this great reawakening or reset in terms of what the world of work looks like and what the workplace needs to look like. And if you're going to attract people, particularly people who are millennial and Gen Z, who are truly focused on working on mission, working in mission-driven companies, right? you need to actually show, put your money where your mouths are and that you're doing the things to attract that talent. Um, so, you know, we've seen a lot of companies, for example, investing a lot in the historic black colleges and universities. Um, you see others looking to evolve the way they bring in interns, but those are just small pieces of a much larger puzzle, right? Because one of the things that I think that we've probably also seen with some of the challenges with actually getting people back into the office is people don't want to go back into that old or traditional way of work. Like work needs to be a lot more flexible. It needs to be a lot more inclusive. Um, and it needs to be a lot more reflective of the world around us. And a lot of that also just, that means policy change, but it also means culture change. 
right? Because you're going to need to start to center what you do on the needs of the people who've historically been marginalized or shut out. Yes, Abby, as you mentioned, companies have a lot to lose. Yet I wonder about the companies that say that they are all in with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and yet behind the scenes, they're kind of in a little bit because they have to show up and let the world see that they are standing with the rest of them, yet they're really doing as little as possible. I wonder about those companies. Also, what I find very interesting is when an announcement is made about a woman or a man of color, and they talk about Judy Jones, first black woman or first black man to be the CEO. I, I, I wonder about that. What is the purpose of including the words black? Or sometimes the word first. And why not just say Judy Jones is now Now, the CEO of whatever company it is? Something to think about and look at. So I would say on the one hand, on the face of it, it's clearly a play for publicity. But in some instances, and it totally depends on what it is, it's also the significance of the moment. Um, But, and I think the reason the use of words like first and actually calling out someone's identity, there, there is merit to that just because in some instances it shows that people are able to break through barriers. Um, it's also important, I think, to honor, recognize, and celebrate people's identity. If we lived in a world where we weren't measured, valued, um, recognized based on who we were, we could just say Judy Jones appointed CEO, but that's not the world that we live in. Um, there's also something to be said for the significance of representation. Um, However, there are the downsides of those types of statements are depending on the industry and what the track record is, and no one's track record is perfect, but some are better than others, right? It could be viewed as tokenism. And if you think we're living in 2022, quite frankly, there shouldn't be instances where companies are now naming the first black female CEO. So where do you think we are? Now, we are where we are. And there are instances where we recognize and celebrate representation. But I think it also points to the work that continues that to be that needs to be done, because we can't continue continue to live in a place where, like we were saying at the top of this, where they're like some firsts or some one and only. I think I think a lot of companies are still trying to figure out now what, now what, now what do we do? The George Floyd moment was one where 
they were forced to do something because if you remember right before that that event, a lot of companies were coming cutting back on DE and I because they were COVID was having a domino effect in business. And then that happened and then suddenly the floodgates of money kept coming back in. Right. So and everyone had a statement and a point of view. Last year, they, everyone was rushing to show action. But n- not everyone's moved the needle. Very few actually have. So it's like, what now do we do? And that's why in my business, I focus on helping companies build equity, one authentic step at a time, because you cannot try to change 400 years of systemic racism with a statement or a tweet or a program, right? And you need to do what makes sense for you based on where you are in your journey, but also what makes sense for you as your company based on that company culture. I think the other piece of this that is also keeping companies up at night is not only do they need to do what they need to do just from a corporate DEI perspective, but we live in a world now where everyone's rights, be it human rights, reproductive rights, um, are under assault. Right? And so, Companies, if you're looking at their employer brand, need to also show how they're showing up for their people when it comes to those larger issues, right? Um, And because people are afraid of being canceled, they're afraid of getting called out on social, right? Everyone knows they they need to do something. Right, because you might have happened what we saw happen at Disney with the walkout um, when the CEO made a decision not to actually comment on the Florida legislation. So I, I think we're at a, in a very interesting time in terms of what activism looks like for companies, um, what how that translates into what companies are going to do as brands that to help encourage people to not only come work for them, but also to retain the employees that they have. But it's also going to have a through line to social and racial justice in this country, because everyone's going to be looking to corporate America and beyond to see how they're going to help move the needle. So I can only imagine that these companies need a lot of high level coaches. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is the major conversation going on right now between a coach and a very high level executive who's running a company and needs to start shifting the landscape for himself and for how he shows up within Mm -hmm. his company and how the company shows up in the world. Abby, as a active voice and using your platform to create change in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm wondering if there's one last thought that you might offer one piece of advice and seeing if there's one or two things that you can repeat or say that would move the needle for others that are in companies and are looking at changing the landscape. I mean, I would say people just need to feel the feel the fear and do it. I think a lot of the one of the reasons you see people seemingly circle the wagons 
kind of glomming on to the performance is they're afraid of doing the real work that is connected to driving change. But I think at the end of the day, if you know you want to do right by your people, you know it's the right thing to do. And quite frankly, you don't want to be left behind and be on the wrong side of history. That's where I think people need to be courageous, feel the fear, and do it. Because there's something better on the other side. And you're either going to want to be living in the past or really truly working to help set up both a company, a community, and a society in the future. That sounds like one of the biggest hurdles and challenges people will have. It's all about Mm -hmm. walking through it and not tiptoeing around it and being willing to put a stake in the ground. Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I mean, you have, you have to put that stake, put lay down that stake, put down that gauntlet and move forward from there. And as difficult as it may seem, as difficult as it may seem, I think actually taking the action and doing it is the first step. Thank you, Abby, for this informative and eye-opening conversation and to look at how important and how imperative it is for taking a first step in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm so appreciative that you were able to join me today. Thank Thank you. you. I enjoyed this as well. You'll want to hear how climbing Mount Everest changed his perspective on life and living. Be sure to tune in to our next episode with Vivian James Rigney, an executive coach, as he reveals how he relied on skills learned in the corporate world in addition to physical training that helped him achieve his lifelong goals of successfully climbing the seven summits the highest peak on all seven continents, with Mount Everest being his last and final feat. Thank you for joining the conversation. For related content on extraordinary work, visit my website, trycoaching.com. I'll be back in two weeks with another conversation. Be sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss an episode. If this resonates with you, I welcome your rating and review. Always remember, when you work with passion and purpose, your work can become extraordinary.